Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by Dr. Ann Fischel, who is here to discuss how shared family meals can impact our kids' mental health, plus some how-tos and affirmations to ease that parent guilt when our kids' after-school activities get in the way. Welcome, Dr. Fischel. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to dive in, but before we get started, I want to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Dr. Ann Fischel is co-founder of the Family Dinner Project and author of Home for Dinner, Mixing Food, Fun, and Conversation for a Happier Family and Healthier Kids. Plus, she's author of Eat, Laugh, Talk, the Family Dinner Playbook. She's also an associate clinical professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School and director of the Family and Couples Therapy Program at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And she has a private practice focusing on individual couples and family therapy. She's also the mom of two adult sons. Dr. Fischel, first, I'd love to hear more about the foundation of your work. How does coming together as a family over a meal positively impact both our physical and our emotional well-being? Yes, so much to say, but I'll keep it short. Um, there are 25 years of scientific studies that show when families get together over mealtime, and it could be breakfast or lunch or dinner or even an intentional snack, but when they do that in a regular way, it turns out it's great for the kids' bodies, their nutrition, for their academic performance, and I think best of all, for their mental health. Um, and actually, there's recent research that suggests that regular mealtime is good for adults, too, which um, I like to emphasize because it's a lot of work for parents to make meals happen. Um, and so it's good to hear that it's good for their nutrition and their mental health as well. So just to sort of flesh this out a little bit more um, in terms of the nutrition, even if we don't try that hard, meals made at home tend to be lower in sugar and fat and salt and higher in fruits and vegetables and fiber. Um, and kids who grow up having dinner when they're on their own as young adults tend to be less obese and to um, continue to eat a, in a healthier way. And in terms of academic performance, uh, regular meals are associated with higher grades, higher achievement, and in young kids in more robust vocabularies. But then the, you know, the real bonus to me are the mental health benefits because I, I am a family therapist and a clinical psychologist the regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of all kinds of high-risk behaviors like lower rates of substance abuse and teenage pregnancy and eating disorders and depression. Um, and this is why I sort of only half choke when I say I could almost be out of business as a family therapist if more families had regular family dinners because of these incredible mental health benefits and, and protective aspects to shared meal time. That's such a great place to start and good reminders for all of us as parents about 
the why behind making those family mealtimes a priority. And I know you're going to walk us through how to do this in a way that doesn't make it feel like another thing on our to-do list, but makes it feel very doable and relatable. Um, I know I'm thinking a lot right now about all the after-school activities my kids have. And a lot of times it feels like we have to either eat dinner as a family at four o'clock or at 10 o'clock. Yes. So how do we, you know, knowing all these benefits, how do we also set some reasonable expectations for ourselves to prioritize time together? Yeah. I mean, this is the number one challenge that parents with kids tell us about. Um, how do you squeeze in this important part of the day when there's so many other activities that seem to all congregate around the dinner table? Um, I'll tell you one example that is just sort of maybe sounds a little outrageous, but I, I'll start with that and then I'll talk much more practically. But I know of a community in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, where the parents all got together and organized and together went to speak to the coaches and said, we really wanna have family dinner. Could you please move the practices and the games out of the dinner hour? And because it was not just one squeaky wheel parent, it was the whole team and several teams, um, they, got their, they got these accommodations. So that's one like huge intervention, but let's talk about some, some more doable smaller ones if you're not really wanting to act, you know, organize your whole neighborhood or your whole community. Um, first of all, it doesn't have to be dinner. So if you uh, have four to 10 is just out of the question, then maybe it makes sense to pivot to breakfast. You know, you don't have to corral your kids. You know where they are first thing in the morning, bring them down to the table and you can have games and conversation starters that sort of anticipate the day rather than review it. Um, and you can have great, healthy, very quick meals at breakfast. Um, we actually have a whole landing page uh, of resources for breakfast because this is really a great workaround for a lot of parents. And so you can go to our website and type in the family breakfast project and there'll be oodles of, of resources there. So that's one idea. Um, it also doesn't have to be a whole meal. It could be a snack. It could be a 10 minute little window um, where you have some fruit and yogurt with your child. And maybe not everybody is there. That's okay. Family dinner doesn't have to be the whole family every time. It could be you and one child or you and both kids trying to pack, you know, a, a healthy snack before they go off to soccer practice and a theater rehearsal. Um, so, you know, that's another way to sort of open it up. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be dinner and it doesn't have to be the whole family all at once. It could be a snack or it could be a snack at 10 o'clock at night when your kids push back from the computer and you push back from whatever you're doing and you meet in the in the kitchen and you have a healthy snack then um, as, a, as a break from homework. Hopefully not at 10, you'd want your kids maybe heading to bed soon after that. So maybe at nine. So those are, those are some ideas. Those are such great ideas. And I know 
we were talking offline about how much I have enjoyed the content at thefamilydinnerproject.org because it has taken a lot of guilt off of me as a mom in thinking we've got to eat dinner together every single night at the same time. And I have appreciated so much all of these creative ideas, some of which my family's already doing. So then I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> you know, we have a snack together when my sons get off the bus. And sometimes, you know, it's just the three of us. Um, but that is a time that works for us to be able to sit down together um, and enjoy a healthy snack and talk about their day. Right. Um, it's, I mean, what we're really talking about are points of, during the day that are reliable times to connect with your kids. And that can be a 10 minute bite, literally and, and figuratively. You know, a 10 minute, oh, I know I'm gonna get to talk to my mom before I go off to soccer practice because we always have a snack together. And, you know, that's what's really protective for kids is having that reliable time to connect. That's such a helpful framework. And again, I think takes a lot of guilt and expectation off our shoulders as parents and makes this feel so much more doable. Um, let's talk specifically about our young athletes. Yes. At thefamilydinnerproject.org, you mentioned that this is a group of young people who really need those shared meal times, even though, of course, it can be challenging to schedule. So why are meals together or snacks especially important for this group of kids? Yeah, I think there, there are several reasons. Um, one is that young athletes are in, at, could be at an increased risk for disordered eating, particularly those who do sports that emphasize appearance and weight. And I'm thinking about dance and uh, wrestling and swimming and skating, gymnastics. Um, so if there's a time to eat with your kids, it's also a time to keep an eye out at the earliest sign, the earliest red flag that they might be engaging in disordered eating. You know, if you notice that they're eating much less than they usually do, or they're saying they'd rather take the meal and eat it in their bedroom away from you, or they're saying they want to start eating healthily, and healthily is really code for restricting. Um, so that's one reason. It's just to sort of keep a gentle eye, um, and you know, having a chance to intervene if it, if you start to see any of those red flags. Then mealtime is also a chance for your young athletes to talk about other things besides sports for you to, you know, when you're driving them to sports, often you're talking about, you know, what do you think the coach is gonna do with you today? And what games do you have coming up and so on? But the dinner table can really be a place to kind of open it up and talk about other aspects of your young athletes' lives that are, are just as important. So that's one thing. And then a third thing is, Nutrition is really important for our teen athletes or our, our young athletes. Um, and, you know, rather than doing a kind of grab and go convenience food, which is quick, yes, but not so good nutritionally, tends to be higher in processed foods and sugar and fat and salt, taking the time to make sure that these snacks are nutritionally rich 
you know, have some protein, have some uh, almond butter thrown into the smoothie or, you know, include some yogurt and some fruit. Um, you know, this is, this is important in helping them keep their bodies healthy and keep some awareness of what fuel they really need to be, you know, in, in good shape. That's really helpful. Um, another piece of the puzzle with young athletes that it's often overwhelming to me mm. um, are all the logistics surrounding food and practice or games, when to feed them, how much, do they right. eat them before or after, what kinds of things should they be eating? Right, so right. What, what can you share with us in terms of advice about some of those logistical parts? Yeah, I really didn't know the answer to this until we started to create some new resources at the Family Dinner Project. And we talked to a bunch of sports nutritionists and they had some really helpful advice. They said, if it's a light practice or, you know, it's practice, not a big competitive game, eating an hour before, snack an hour before is good. If it's like a heavy competition, you want it more like two to three hours so that food doesn't get just eaten up or the energy doesn't get um, devoured by digestion. You want it available to go to your muscles and to your brain and everything else. So two to three hours. Um, of course, hydrate, 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 hydrate several hours before, have water during the practice and so on. That's really important. Um, they also said to avoid eating high fat foods because that can sit like a rock in a child's stomach or an adult's stomach as well. Um, and spicy foods also may not be so advisable right before practice and games. Um, and then they also, you know, when I asked, um, well, what should be the composition of the food? You know, how much of this and how much of that? They said sort of general rule. 50% um, carbs, 25% protein, 25% fruits and vegetables, and then some fat, you know, preferably in the shape of oil, olive oil, and a dairy source. Um, and fruits and vegetables are, are really so key because they also contain antioxidants and uh, help with inflammation that may get created during a heavy practice. So you know, that's really something to, to make sure that you keep in mind, even if it's just a mini snack. So, um, yeah, this, this was, this was news to me. I, I, uh, before the pandemic, I always went to a yoga class right around dinner time, And I created what I describe as yoga eggs because I could make them in 15 minutes and then be out the door and to my yoga class. And after I got this advice, I realized I, I really needed a little more time to digest it before um, hitting, hitting the mat. Um, so, I mean, we all, we all can learn things. Uh, it's not just our, the youth athletes, but uh, parents, many parents are athletes as well. This content, especially like this logistical content has created a lot of great conversations um, in my household with my husband who coaches two of our kids soccer teams and coaches our third kids basketball team um, and my kids all play a variety of sports so 
it's been fun for me to discover all the information available on your site and then talk with my kid athletes and my coach who lives here too <laughs> um, about all of this information so that we can kind of process it together. And then I think my kids have felt a little bit empowered. Like they kind of know more about what their bodies need and can be part of making those decisions or knowing when and how much to eat. Yes. I mean, I think that's a great attitude to have about your kids eating is they're the, they're the boss. I mean, you, you do your best to provide what's healthy and nutritious and what you think they'll like, but they're the only ones who can really decide how much they're going to have and what they really like. And I think that that's a great attitude to have. Well, it's been fun for us. So I highly recommend the, all that content. It's been really helpful. And I know there's more for me to learn on the site as well. Um, so we've talked about scheduling the time can be a little bit tricky, but we've got some great advice from you on how to make that work. The meal planning and the prep work is the next part that we get hung up on. So what ideas can you share with us to streamline those weekly dinners or breakfasts that are both nutritious and efficient? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's sort of like, I don't know, four main strategies that um, that I've heard about from parents that, and I've tried myself with my kids. Um, one strategy are the make ahead meals. Um, so they're ready to go. And if you're doing like split shift meals, you know, you're feeding, one child at five and another child at eight, you've got them ready to go. And we've got lots of recipes on the website that are like that. Um, might be a Tuscan tomato bread soup or a broccoli strata, cheese strata or chicken marbella, you know, things that can be made a few days before or put in the freezer and then defrosted. Then there are the slow cooker meals, which also lend themselves to eating with one child at a time, but um, don't make you have to ha be schlepping your kids back and forth to practice and cooking at the same time. So you could have a meal that's just slow cooking, and that might be a, a chili dish, that might be a slow cooked barbecue ribs or a chicken Santa Fe soup um, that just is sort of uh, it's like having a little helper that's, you know, keeping an eye on things. And then there are meals that can be less made in less than 15 or 20 minutes. Those are your sort of short order cook. Um, and I think most parents have a few up their sleeve. Um, I mentioned my yoga eggs, which is just throw whatever vegetables I have on hand, saute them quickly, put some greens in, um, put two eggs or however, two per person, sprinkle some cheese and bake it at a high uh, rate in the oven for seven minutes. And, you know, it's sort of one pot very, very quick um, or shrimp fried rice is another. Um, so that's a third strategy. And a fourth is to really rely on, on mini meals or snacks. Um, and um, those can be made very quickly too. So that, you know, might be, a scrambled egg, or it might be um, a smoothie with nut, but, nut but butter thrown in, or um, hummus that you bought at the store and you cut up some vegetables and you use that as a dip. Um, so that would be another 
approach. And I think the, the general idea that I wanna get across, which I think you and I have talked about before and you've woven in nicely during, during our chat today, um, is that what's really corrosive is when parents think they have to do this perfectly or that whatever they offer their children has to be Instagrammable. You know, it has to really look good and it has to be fancy and it has, no, it can be the simplest thing in the, in the world um, because the secret sauce of any of these meals, whether they're mini snacks or slow cooker or whatever, the secret sauce is really taking 10 minutes, 15 minutes to connect with your child. That's what's really going to uh, bring the benefits. So, um, you know, you want to find something your child is going to like that's got some nutritional value. And beyond that, it's really about sitting down and just um, having an enjoyable few minutes in between all the, the rush and back and forth. Those are such helpful ideas and I am going to immediately go after our conversation and look up all those recipes for the dishes you mentioned. Um, I know I, I, I love to cook. It's therapeutic for me to be in the kitchen and cooking. And there are times that I really enjoy um, lengthy recipes and cooking processes, but it was helpful for me recently that my husband said, you know, I think that you're stressing yourself out too much by trying to, you know, spend time every night making something in the kitchen. And is there a way that we can streamline this or that we can look at some quicker recipes? Um, and he, I'm fortunate, he's very helpful in doing all of the things he'll prep and I'll cook or whatever it is. Yeah. But um, it was nice for me to have that reminder that it's not, it's not about necessarily the process, that it's okay to kind of do the bare minimum. That's um, right. That's so right. Maybe on the weekend yeah. when you have more time, you do something more elaborate. If if it's fun for you or if it's fun to do it with, with your kids or with your husband. But yes, in terms of what's really important to get the the benefits from shared meal time it's really the food is the least of it. It's the time together. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell my husband that um, he must have been channeling you when he, <laughs> he was giving me that advice, which was very sound advice. Um, so let's talk now about that relationship building yes. piece, um, whether it's over dinner or breakfast, or even while we're chauffeuring kids to practice or activities. What are some conversation starters or topics you recommend for parents to connect with our kids in those moments and even check in on their mental health? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are lots, lots of ideas. I'll throw out a few. Um, so tell me what happened today that, that made you laugh. Um, tell me two things that really happened today and one thing that's you're just is a bold face untruth. And let me see if I can guess, which is a sort of a playful way of asking how was your day or what happened today? Um, uh, tell me something you learned today that you think I don't know. Um, what makes you feel good about yourself? 
as a member of your basketball team or uh, what made you feel good about yourself when you were at school today? So those would be a few. Um, with teens, I know with when my kids were teens, they really liked this question. Um, I would tell them something I had screwed up that day, which <laughs> was never very hard to find. Something that was a tricky situation or some goof, you know, I pressed send all instead of sending an email to just one person and now I had egg on my face. And so I would present some mishap and I would say, what, you know, what do you think I should do? Or what do you think I could have done? Or, you know, what do you think? Um, and I think they liked that because it wasn't so interrogative. Like I wasn't poking around in their business. I was starting with something that was like a little vulnerable about myself. Um, and with younger, when the kids were younger, and I guess I still do that, even though they're in their thirties, I'll start with a story about myself. Maybe I don't always tell goofy stories about myself, but something that I want to share with them before I start pressing them to tell me about their lives. Um, and I think that that seems to to work better um, is, you know, and, and when I when my kids were younger, I would keep track during the day of some little stories, you know, a funny story about our dog or somebody I met when I was taking a walk. And I would just kind of put them aside to share with them at dinner, knowing that that I mean, I wanted to tell them about my day, but I knew that that would kind of grease the wheels to their telling me about their day. Those are such great ideas. I'm going to be taking notes so I can remember all of these, but I love for the younger kids about having them tell you two things that were true and one thing that's not. That's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Um, and much better than my usual, how was your day today? Fine. As usually yeah. what I get. <laughs> right, right. I mean, another another go-to that's sort of like the two truths and a tall tale is tell me a, a rose, a thorn, and a bud about your day. A rose is something funny or positive. A thorn is something that was challenging or difficult. And a bud is something you hope will happen tomorrow. Oh, those um, are great. And that's just, that's another sort of switch up to how was your day? Because that does get tedious for all of us. It does. And and I think once they kind of get in that habit, they're just answering fine without even thinking about right. what they're saying. Right, right. And talking about teens, I love that. Sharing things about your day and getting their advice. I have noticed as my kids have gotten older, especially my older two, will ask me now, how was your day? Wow. And um, and sometimes they'll say, you know, oh, I know that you were really worried about that meeting. How did that go? Um, which oh. is great, but then I have to share. <laughs> <laughs> you see how it feels, yeah. <laughs> but that's such a good reminder from you that when we take that first step to be vulnerable with our kids, that hopefully, eventually, they'll do the same. Um, yeah. yeah. And it could be something, you know, it could just be something funny that happened. You know, you don't have to tell your innermost secrets to your kids, but um, 
Yeah, it sounds at, at age 11, your child is asking about your day. That's incredible. A lot of spouses don't do that. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll give credit. I'm making my husband sound really good on this yeah. podcast, which he is, but <laughs> he's so good about asking me and we'll, you know, talk through our days that I feel like our, our kids have just seen that modeled. And so now they'll ask both of us about, you know, how dad, did you get that order that you were working on? Or, um, so it's really nice to see them kind of learning those skills. But again, that means I've, you know, if I'm asking them about their day, I know they're going to ask me about mine and I'm going to have to be willing to share. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, when, I did want to just add one thing. I, I, I'm not sure what, it was something that you had asked me a minute or two ago about, oh, I know, whether you talk at dinner or in the car. And I just want to say that when teens are asked, what's the number one time and place that they talk to their parents? The answer is the dinner table. And number two is the car. But they're not the same, right? And I think the major difference is that in the car, we don't really look our kids in the eye. I mean, we shouldn't be if we're driving. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that makes it easier for kids to talk to us because we're not looking them in the eye, but there are important neurological effects of eye contact um, and effects that really promote bonding when we look each other in the face. So, that time is precious in the car, but it's not the same, I think, as the time around the table when you really can look at each other. Ooh, that's a good reminder and a good distinction there. And both can be important, but maybe in different ways. So that's, that's a good reminder for me as a mom, for sure. Um, one of the other things that I am really struggling with right now with my kids, and you alluded to this a bit earlier, is I want them to understand good nutrition and making healthy choices, but I also want to support positive body image. You know, I don't want them to get into the diet culture or thinking they have to eat a certain way to look a certain way. Right. So how do we help our kids understand the function of the foods they're eating and also ensure that they do feel comfortable and confident in their bodies, whatever their bodies look like? Yeah, such an important topic. I think it, it really starts with how parents talk about food and their bodies. You know, if a parent who is dieting at family mealtime is modeling that is saying, you know, I'm anxious about my body and you might be anxious about yours. So that's, that would be the, I think the place to start is for parents to kind of um, not talk about feeling fat today or not feeling about, I cheated today and I had a cookie at lunch, you know, no, that, that kind of talk is, is kind of toxic. And, um, it is so much part of the culture and our language that it, it can be hard to, to root that out. But that, I think that would be the, the first place I would start. Um, I spoke with a, a dietitian at Mass General where I work, Dr. Harshman, and 
she gave the analogy that our bodies are like fancy cars and the important engine is our heart and our organs and the food is the fuel for our fancy cars and we need fuel that will strengthen our bones, that will give our brains energy to learn, that will power our muscles. Um, and this is the sort of language that's better to use than talking about good foods and bad foods or foods that will make you fat. Or, um, so sort of the emphasis on talking about what our bodies do rather than what they look like. So I think that's another kind of messaging. And then also, as we were sort of alluding to earlier, um, focusing on, you know, we focus, the parents offer healthy, nutritious food, but then the less said, the better about how much our kids eat or, you know, encouraging them to just take another bite or you've already had two portions, do you really need a third? that kind of conversation is really not helpful. So offer the food, do the best you can, and then try not to comment on how much your child is eating. Um, and in that spirit, also helping your child pay attention to their own satiety cues, which again, you might model yourself. Huh, you know, my brain is sort of caught up, caught up with my body because we've been eating in sort of a slow and relaxed way. And gosh, I, I'm full. So I'm not going to finish everything. You know, the sort of anti-clean plate uh, ethos. Um, it's okay to leave something on the plate if you're full. And it's also okay to have a little more if you're not quite full. So helping kids sort of locate that in their own bodies rather than trying to negotiate it at the table with them. And then I guess also talking about all the different ways that we measure health. Weight, yes, is one, um, but also how strong we are, how our blood pressure is doing, uh, how, how, how well we slept, how much exercise we get. Um, and you know, some parents may wanna ask their children's pediatricians not to bring out the growth chart and not to mention BMI. You know, that I think pediatricians are more and more open to that, um, realizing that this focus on weight and appearance um, really is the sort of on-ramp to disordered eating. Um, so those would be some thoughts on that. It's all very helpful. I, I feel like so many parents now are very conscious of not wanting to repeat some of the ways in which they were parented that, that might yes. have felt harmful or even just as you know, they look back, think, oh, okay, well, maybe that's why I feel like this about food in, in this way now. Um, I, it's just a much, there's a much different culture um, around food and nutrition today than yes. it was in the 80s and even early 90s. So that's so helpful and such great advice that I know I'll be taking to heart for, for my family and my kids. Um, another thing that, that we know is difficult right now for a lot of 
families is anxiety disorders on the yeah. rise in kids. You have a great section again on the site with conversation ideas for parents to talk to their kids about anxiety and lots of other things too, stress, loneliness, resilience, self-care. If our kids are experiencing some anxiety about school or maybe they're stressed about a test or a situation with their friends, what are some helpful things we can be saying to them or even questions we could be asking them? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a, a one size fits all. I, I think sort of generally, what are the kinds of questions that I would call door slammers? And what are the ones that are window openers that, that the window openers are questions or comments that make your child feel that you're not judgmental, that you want to know their struggles, that you can bear it, that you're not going to get angry or overwhelmed or um, sad about it <clears throat> and door slammers are questions that really will shut them down so door slammers would be things like oh you you're always anxious before a test but you always do well you know you're just being ridiculous you know that that might be true but it probably wouldn't be too helpful and a window opener might be you know what's helped in the past when you've been anxious about a test or um tell me more what about your feeling anxious you know i really want to understand that um and you know how do you feel it all the time do you just feel it sometimes um uh so that kind of willingness to keep your child company you're not going to be able to take the anxiety away but you're going to make, help make your child feel less alone with it. Um, and as though you're a safe person to share this with. Um, and I think beyond that, sometimes opening it up so that there might be a conversation about how every, you know, let's, how do you deal with stress? You know, asking your spouse, you know, what are some things that help you when you're feeling really worried about something coming up um so what's one thing that you do when you're overwhelmed or or anxious or what are the signs that you get in your body or thoughts in your brain um when you need extra support from somebody so that you're you're sort of destigmatizing in that way you're saying this may not be exactly how you feel but we do all feel some version of this. And I think that that also can help a child feel less alone. Um, sometimes kids, families will start a mealtime doing a um, breathing exercise, you know, doing a, uh, we have a, a, new, a new breathing game on the website, the humming bee where you breathe in and then you breathe out making a sound of a bee and um, you know, kind of notice what the vibrations feel like. And uh, if you make the vibrations lower or higher, how does it make you feel? But there, it's just like a grounding exercise or five, four, three, two, one, you know, five things that you can see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can uh, hear, I don't know where I am, two things you can smell and one thing that you want to eat tonight. Um, again, just a, a grounding 
that everybody can do. Um, and of course, the very having of a meal time is an anxiety buster. It's a uh, a way to sort of step away from the hubbub and to um, feel that the good feelings that come from uh, having people at the table want to listen to what your day is like and how you're feeling. You know, this is this is all very salutary. It's a safe space, and I exactly. I love that basis um, of your work that when our kids can anticipate that and they know that that's part of their day, that that provides such a good foundation for them. Yes. That's a good reminder for me. As we wrap up our conversation today, what is the top piece of advice that you want parents to remember about the value of those shared mealtimes? Yeah, I mean, I think you were you were just hitting it um, right on the nose when you were saying that mealtime is a safe time. Um, you know, it's really so important for our kids to feel that there's a predictable time each day to connect with us. When kids have that daily connection, whether it's a snack or a meal or breakfast or dinner, when they have that connection, it's like a seatbelt on the potholed road of childhood and adolescence. It's protective and it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be dinner. So the, those would, I think you maybe said one piece of advice. I think that I snuck in a few more there, but. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Um, thank you so much for all of the wonderful advice. Again, thank you for relieving some of that mom guilt, that parent guilt that, that we have about trying to do everything and do everything just right. Um, this was so helpful to make this feel so relatable and accessible to, to create those moments in our family's days to really connect with each other. Good. Well, I'm, I don't want to add an ounce more of burden on, on parents. It's everybody is doing too, too much. So, um, I'm glad the message came through to, uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. And um, these small bites are, are, can be just as important as a elaborate Thanksgiving dinner. That's perfect. It's great reminders for all of us, me included. For our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts through membership in the modern art of parenting. Visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about memberships, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.